Welcome to Project Update, a weekly podcast about the projects we're working on and the failed hard drives we're replacing. I'm Joe Simpson. <laughs> and I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Doing good, Joe. How are you doing? Mm, pretty good. Just keeping my head down. That'll work. What have you been working on? So I started out wrapping up kind of the menu command support. I wanted to ask you, because we really hadn't talked about it, how are the menu commands working on the Windows version in the last couple of weeks? Mm, pretty much the same way that we left it last episode, okay. where everything seems to be working. You added a couple shortcuts, and I don't think I've touched the menu since I learned the shortcuts. So, Perfect. Yay. Perfect. I will take that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> next big step was doing some pretty substantive revisions to the JSON that the backend spits out to send to the interface. Um, each FileMaker element in FM comparison is stored in a fairly large data object. Um, so you can think of it as a, you know, a database table that has 30 or 40 fields in it. It's not very narrow in its scope. And a lot of these are kind of intermediate properties or properties that are only used in process. And at some point I'm probably going to clear a bunch of those out, but there's some really cool tools in honestly, almost every substantive development environment on the planet that will uh, give you automatic bi-directional data structure to JSON conversion. And they're really neat once you figure out how to use them. And they're usually a little bit obnoxious to work with. <clears throat> um, yeah, so really powerful. Um, and I started out with kind of, that. there's kind of, sort of code. They're called code decorations. Little pieces of text that you put around your code that aren't necessarily source code, but make the thing function differently. Hmm. And one of those is like a, a JSON ignore tag and any yeah. property that I put JSON ignore in front of will not get exported. And so I could just make a first quick pass and throw away a bunch of stuff. There's also a JSON property thing that allows me to rename things. So I can say, while you're in my source code, I want this to be the name, but when it comes to exporting or importing JSON, I want you to look at this property name instead. Mm. And those are very kind of high level things. They, they tackle um, anything that that data structure does with JSON. And so you can basically say, take this array of objects, spit them out to JSON, and it just happens. And even though one of those properties is actually a, has a child array, no special code required. It just spits all of that out. Um, and so that's really cool right up until the point that you want a little bit more granular control. And mm -hmm. so I talked a number of weeks ago about fixing things for the list view display because we only need maybe six properties to make that happen. And so I'd figured out what the code looked like to make that spit out. Um, and so now what I really needed to do was take that same level of control for the detail data for basically two objectives. One is 
that JSON ignore was a little bit of a, of a sledgehammer. And so once I've ignored it at the data structure level, it gets ignored for anything you try and do with it. You, you can't and, re-ignore it. Right. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't unknore. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, there were a couple of properties that I wanted to only exist in one list or the other. And so JSON ignore couldn't get it done. And so I basically just had to take manual control for both of those exports. And then along the way, doing some renaming, um, right now for debugging purposes and development purposes, I know it's annoying for Joe when, uh, when you bump into something that has a crappy name, mm -hmm. the name makes sense to me, but it doesn't make any sense to you. Um, and so trying to kind of streamline those and along the way, I don't know if we've substantively talked about this, but, I'd kind of like to make this JSON available to users eventually. Mm. That's a longer term thing. But um, I know one of the requests that I'm going to get a whole bunch at some point is, hey, can I run this command line? And being able to send a request to FM comparison and just get back the results of what changed would be the kind of thing that I know is going to pop up on the agenda on a long enough timeline. And so making these things have names that are appropriate to their output use, not necessarily their behind the scenes use is, is really helpful. Pain in the butt, <laughs> but really helpful. And now it's basically done. So even now, if it modifies, if I've got to add one more property or something like that, it's pretty trivial to just go into this spot and add one little line and boom, it's done. So that's great. Um, and then started working on uh, putting in some code that would allow the back end to hand to the front end annotated changes for things that didn't change. Hmm. Which sounds weird. And it's not so much things that didn't change. It's added or deleted elements. Yeah. So currently in FM comparison, if you added a field, when you click on the row that says, hey, tell me more about this added field, it goes, hey, you added a field and this is the name. Because I'm not running the code that looks at the two versions of the item and annotates every place that something is different when everything is different. Mm -hmm. Like what's, what's really the value of me itemizing all the little changes on this thing. If you're really just going to go and copy and paste it, except for the fact that it would be really helpful to be able to see, you know, if, you know, one use for FM comparison might be reviewing a junior developer's work. Well, I actually want to look at the fields they added, not just tell me a list of them so I can go do a copy and paste, but but what did they put in so that I can make sure that they were doing, you know, validation properly or auto entry calculations or things like that. I want to know the details about what got added or the details about the thing that got deleted beyond just its name. And so that's, I think most of the way through, except I got distracted. Um, 
because my car got totaled. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't recall if we talked about it last week or not. Yeah. Flooding? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, insurance company said, yeah, that's a dead car. <laughs> the good news is I uh, I got more from the insurance company than I was expecting to get for the car. The bad news is now I have to do car shopping hmm. unless I want to take the Joe path. Yeah. I suggest you just stay at home forever and get more and more VR headsets. <laughs> that's, that's a different way to travel. I get it. Um, you can get a really awesome driving rig. <laughs> um, I, I spent more time than I wanted to considering this option. (laughs) And I think in the end, my decision was if I don't have a car, I'm almost never going to be social. Yeah. If it takes me three planning steps to get from my house to where I'm supposed to be for some gathering, I'm just not going to go. And so if it's more complicated than walk outside, put key in car drive, I'm just not going to go. Um, I, I love the optimism that we'll ever be able to have any kind of social lives again. <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to happen eventually, which is another option is that I may just wait for six months mm-hmm. um, because there's not much to do right this second anyway. Um, and honestly, right now stock is a little low because all the, the, at least in us car manufacturers had their plants shut down. Hmm. So the dealerships have been open ish once they could reopen, but their stock is low. So if you had a particular color you wanted, you may well be out of luck. So loads of fun. And then the next thing that ate my brain was coming in the decision that we really needed to revise the larger plan for FM comparison. Mm -hmm. Joe has been immensely helpful in getting the UI moving, working, looking good, flowing, and making sense. Um simultaneously he's really bad at making me uh restrict my appetite for cool features Mm -hmm. yeah um and so in some ways the app was getting simpler and easier to use but in other senses it was becoming more complicated and a longer development Yeah, more complicated to make and easier to use. Yes. In many cases. Yes. Um, So, and then on top of this, FileMaker 19 released and has a couple of things in its XML that have the possibility of making some of the uh, FM comparison diff tasks faster and easier. Hmm. Um, And so... Then you combine these facts with me doing office hours every week. So every Thursday I do uh, FM perception office hours. 
it's just a hour, hour and a half of time where we're online talking about stuff, answering questions, whatever. And FM comparison ends up popping up as a topic fairly regularly. And the biggest question I get is, hey, I've got a project that I'm starting tomorrow that that would be really helpful on. Is there, a, is there like a beta out or something like that? And the answer is always no. Mm-hmm. And the software that we had been designing and working towards, I think was still another six months, eight months possibly before we were going to call it ready. Um, you know, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed. And I'm, I'm no longer sure that that's the right strategy. Yeah. I don't think I agree with that. I was still, I've been operating under the assumption this whole time that you wanted something out before DevCon. So that's right. what I've been kind of working towards. And that's only, what, less than two months at this point, if they have a DevCon? Yeah. Or but there's, a virtual thing. there's still some stuff that we haven't substantively dug into, like the organization screens. Um, not that those are going to take two months, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so what I wanted to do was, I mean, now at this point, we can see the shape of the thing. We've got a lot of the flow put together. The interface is looking pretty sharp. Um, what I want to do is, is kind of nail down the version 1.0 spec. Mm-hmm. Slice some stuff off. Maybe add a couple things on that, that we weren't thinking about um, in the short term. And get a beta out, get it into users' hands, get some feedback, um, and start kind of growing it from that point. Yeah, um, we've, we've got a meeting scheduled tomorrow to talk over the specifics. And really we're just going to, from a process standpoint, just kind of review everything that we know about that's outstanding and kind of do a, a bit of a brain dump. And yeah. just spend the meeting kind of triaging stuff, like move things into you know, the beta release versus the following release versus someday maybe yeah beta and, uh, version one version 1.1 and version two <laughs> yeah i think a lot of the stuff that we'll have to cut right now is just kind of be bells and whistles mm-hmm. things that would be nice to do in the ui but just take too much time to do um a lot of which are you're not going to like like things that you want it to do we can we can do this or we can ship a beta. <laughs> I'm thinking particularly around like the uh, resizing the sidebar, automatically showing and hiding lots of different stuff. Like yeah. things like that. We need to make the determination of like which which of these are necessary. Yeah. Like how much is user customi- customization is necessary to get the beta out there. Yeah. So I got to take my designer hat off and put on my project manager hat <laughs> a little bit and uh, get both Dave and me on track and then stop having ideas when Dave can hear me. <laughs> like, I'll still have the ideas and maybe write them down someplace for later. But uh, There you go. Show title. Stop having ideas. Um, uh, and so as part of this, I wanted to i've been talking about this with basically in every location that i can uh a call to action for filemaker developers 
is on your systems, what you want to do is crack them open in FileMaker 19 and do under the tools menu, there's save a copy as XML. If you haven't done it yet, you should do it. And then when mm -hmm. you do it, you can take that file that's created and just throw it away. We don't care about it. It's irrelevant at this point. But what that does is basically tells your FileMaker database to generate UUIDs for every element and start paying attention to the modification date and time for all of those items. And now does doing doing something like that would that affect opening those files with previous versions of FileMaker? Uh, I haven't seen anything that suggests that it does. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, some of this data is data that FileMaker has been tracking. It just kind of has to, I don't know, move it over to a spot where it's available to the XML. But hmm. basically, if you have two copies of your system, you know, version A and version B, and version A is older, and you've never done this step, when you tell it to do this the first time, every single object gets a modification timestamp of the moment you said export. Mm -hmm. So if you've got two copies and you do the export on A and then do the export on B, every single object will show as modified by 30 seconds. And we don't want that. <laughs> so the earlier you can get your database saying, um, you know, tracking its modification times, the better. So that that way, version A will say today, right now, and then you'll make some modifications. And then version B will only show different modification times for things that were actually modified since the XML export happened. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make lots of stuff easier and faster. And I just... It will be, it will make everybody's life easier if you've already done this. So if you're a FileMaker developer, give some serious consideration to spitting that out. Um, yeah. And that's, that's about it for me. That's just been, there's, the first week was a lot of code and the second week has just been all like headspace. Just stuff swirling around in my brain and trying to get back control of my brain and at least my portion of this project how's it going for you joe mm, pretty good yeah. um just plugging away at the same type of work i uh, finished most of the tailwind conversion stuff Sweet. and i say i say most because i we just haven't merged it back in yet mm -hmm. and there's just a couple of places where i need to say are we still using anything from bootstrap view and then i need to figure out the whole you know, NPM uninstall stuff to get rid of a bunch of dependencies that we're no longer using. But there's like nine or 10 dependencies that we can get rid of now, which would be really cool. I like that. And then I also need to figure out the post CSS process for Tailwind when, so like Tailwind uses these variants, you set up, you know, an array of variants in the configuration file for what types of styles to generate what classes to generate for each style variant. So it's kind of like a matrix. So like I want to make this style for these five variants. And without like with its default settings, it's just going to generate a whole bunch of stuff that we're not using. So we need to go through and and clean up what we're actually using 
clean up that configuration file to show what we're actually using and what we're not and tell it about the dark mode stuff so it doesn't throw that away. But yeah, just some stuff I need to learn how to do. Like I, I know that I have to do it because it was in a tutorial about the first half of the stuff that I did and I just bookmarked it and said, I'll come back to that because I don't want to deal with that right now. But uh, the <laughs> the interfaces are all converted and some of them are still pretty basic. Like the sidebar is functional, but don't resize it. <laughs> <laughs> if, you just, if you just look at it and use it the way it is, it, it works great. But uh, don't resize it because it doesn't look great after that. I, I haven't actually resized it at all. <laughs> Good. Because it looks great. Yeah, it's embarrassing. Um, item list is also... It needs some resizing stuff as well, but there's only really two elements in that row, so it's not as complicated. The item list is, you know, we talked a little bit about it off air. Um, we got rid of the paging control since we we kind of ran some performance numbers on the way we're doing it in Tailwind versus the tables that we were using in Bootstrap View, and we're not really running into the same performance issues anymore. So we got rid of the paging controls. But that's raised some design issues of like, how are we going to handle multi-selection? Because we do still run into performance issues when we multi-selecting large amounts of items. So for example, the one of the test DVRs that Dave gave me has about 11,000 items of layout objects. And if I select all of those in Bootstrap View, my computer just dies. Like it just hard crashes hmm. and reboots. In Windows, if I do that in if I if I I, I should say not even select it. if I just load that mm -hmm. in the item list without selecting anything, then it just crashes. It's just, it's just too much data for the 16 gigs of RAM I have in that. Um, that same list of data will load just fine in the Tailwind version of it, and I think that's partly because Dave is providing a different amount of JSON for that list view now and also the overhead of that the you know the two or three little divs that we're printing out is just way less html than what that bootstrap table was creating like it's just many many fewer lines of code so now that same 11,000 lines will load in the item list view but if i were to hit you know control a and select all of those rows it it took like two and a half minutes for them to show up in the detail view. Like they do eventually show up, but the app is so unusable at that point that you just have to quit the app and relaunch it to be able to even do anything at all. So we need to figure out some of that stuff. Like how are we gonna manage these large sets of data and selection of multiple items? Yeah, and unfortunately it's, it's kind of a silly problem because there's no rational reason to want to select all mm -hmm. on 11,000 items. Yeah, I find navigating 10 selected items unreasonable. So yeah. yeah. It's it's just it, it's a huge chunk of data, a huge chunk of display. Scrolling through 100 items is just silly. But somebody's going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can, I mean, maybe for the beta, we just ship the single selection and see if anybody complains. Mm. See if anybody asked for the multi-select. Because as a single detail view, it works great. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's things like that. The um, the detail view still needs the most work out of everything. And, um, you know, Dave's working on those changes for the added and deleted items that he's working. So I'll have more to print out for those elements. And then the the biggest area that I finished up last week was the configuration screen, which is it's got a couple of cards that show the DDRs that you selected or the XMLs that you selected. And then it had several progress bars, so three progress bars for the analysis state and then the comparison state, and then three log viewers. And pretty much reproduced all of that except for animations. So the, the progress bars had nice little animations on them. The progress bars that I made do not. And they're actually like ridiculously simple. They're just divs with background colors that <laughs> animate their width or recalculate their width based on some percent values. Okay. And they don't animate. And I'm looking at them like, these don't look bad though. Like yeah. they actually work really well. And same thing with a log viewer. We were using like a really nice bootstrap view, collapsible elements. But what I'm doing instead is just a little bit of view template code that says V if, you know, true, show this, else don't. Like <laughs> it's just showing and hiding something. And that works really well too. So I'm like, hmm. I don't know if I really want to complicate this any more than it is now. So I'll have you take a look at it and see what you think as well. But it's kind of funny, like the animations, the lack of animations make it feel snappier to me. Yeah. Which is the point of animations is to make the app feel fluid and responsive, but they feel more responsive without them. Well, and, and I've had a little bit of difficulty with the animations. Basically, there's a there's a progress bar for each of the for each of the XML parse stages so parse mm -hmm. the old one parse the new one and then a progress bar for the the actual comparison and you can tell it when it's done parsing both start the comparison immediately and what will happen with the animated version is it will still be animating the completion of the parse process when it starts the comparison process and yeah. every time i see it my head goes Wait, did that start before it was done? Yeah, it looks It silly. starts before it indicates that it was done. I mean, the progress bar is still moving. Is I'm not sure most people would ever notice it, but it, <laughs> working with it with, for a while, it does look pretty silly. Yeah, so it, it, it jumps into my head every time. So I honestly may prefer the unanimated versions. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of okay. I don't know. We'll take a look and make a decision. Yeah. So some of the other stuff I've been working at is um, I'm still almost done with that PHP project. <laughs> still. Once, once you get the first 90% done, all that's left is the last 90%. Yeah, I think I'm on the third or fourth 90% at this point. <laughs> I did uh, two more. I think I did the last two complicated pages this morning. So I've got like seven more relatively simple ones. But yeah, the hard stuff is out of the way. You know, I need to finish up these pages this week or next and then kind of get with my client and see when we're deploying this and then plan my testing around that. And I need to do usability testing on my end and then have somebody on their end do usability testing. But so far, everything is working pretty well. It's, it's been a fun project in that I've found several kind of not necessarily bugs, but edge cases that I patched or, or kind of worked around this time that I missed the last time. So, yeah, I'm 
I'm eager to be done with it though. It's been just a tremendous amount of work. And it will, this will be the last project that I have that is using custom web publishing. So I will be able to retire that skill set from my toolbox and just use the data API from here forward. If you had a customer that said they wanted custom web publishing, would you still do it? If they were, like, if they knew what they were getting into and they knew that, like, you may be on FileMaker 19 or whatever the last version to support it, like, that may be the only version that you can ever run. Right. Again, like if they're fine with that, then maybe. But I don't know. It's hard to say because last couple of years with FileMaker Server and OS updates, like, are you comfortable freezing your OS in time? Which isn't always a very good idea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tricky situation. I would tend to nudge people towards the data API. Okay. Unless they've got a really good reason for using the other one. The other, honestly, the PHP API, I like it a little bit better. Like it does things in a clunkier but easier way to work with. So like when I create a record, I get back the record that I created, which is nice because then I can use that in further code after creating it. Mm. Not all of the JSON or the data API requests work the same way. Some of them return like just a record ID. Some of them don't return anything. You have to you know, just query, find it again. So yeah, it's kind of weird how it works. Adding scripts to commands, like everything that I've done on the old system was doable in the new system without really any significant rewriting. But there was a couple of times where I had to like kind of move the logic around where like I used to call this, call a script as part of a find request. And now I make a request and then call a script before mm. making that request, things like that. But yeah, I'm eager to be done with it. <laughs> um, I noticed this morning because I, I record the podcast on the Mac and I I think I've spent enough time on Windows that I just don't know what to do on the Mac. Like the it, it's always just the shortcut keys that mess me up. Like things are in the wrong place and I come back and I, I think I'm copying and pasting something and I'm not. And <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, yeah, it was chaos this morning just trying to type up the notes for the show. And uh yeah, I'm eager for that to not be a problem. You know, WWDC is two weeks away. Please release a touchscreen MacBook. <laughs> or an iPad Pro that can I can write code on. I know the touchscreen MacBook would be better because I can use that for more things, but I don't see that happening. I I wouldn't put money on it. No. Something I did put money on was a new hard drive, or actually a new SSD. Yeah. So I, I had my first hard drive failure in like 12 years. And it was in the PS4, of all things, which makes sense because it's the only hard drive I have. <laughs> Everything else is an SSD. But yeah, the PlayStation and PlayStation Pro still ship with a hard drive in them, which is going to be one of the really nice things about PS5. Like, welcome to 2014. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'd been meaning to replace mine with an SSD anyway, and... My PlayStation just decided to die kind of right in the middle of a VR game two weeks ago, which was weird because it just it kept powered on and this 
the screen for the VR headset was still powered on, but just showing blank, showing a black void. And then the thing rebooted and said hard drive failure with an error code. And I thought about sending it in under warranty. And I think I didn't, I didn't spend very much time to see if it was eligible for a warranty or repair because I got to the point where it was like, you have to send it in. It usually takes two to three weeks. I'm like, nah, just buy an SSD, fix it. <laughs> like It's just not worth not having for several weeks when it's the only thing hooked up to my TV mm-hmm. to watch anything on. Oh, so, right. So yeah, I just, I found an SSD for like 140 bucks and swapped it out. But I did have to, uh, you know, the old hard drive, I plugged it into the computer with an adapter and it, it even it couldn't see anything on it. So just that is now a paperweight. Couldn't get anything off of it. So I had to restart No Man's Sky, which is kind of sucks because I was fairly far along, but yeah. also doesn't suck because I know how to play the game now. Yeah. So it's kind of a lot more fun to start over when you kind of know how things work. So that didn't have like a cloud save or anything? No. Mm. No. But I did spend probably two days downloading games. <laughs> you know, four, four or 500 gigs of just installs. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Didn't realize. I mean, I knew I bought a lot of games for that thing. But yeah. I bought a lot of games for that thing. <laughs> I just need to spend some time uh, playing them all. Like I, I'm the only person I know who is like constantly telling myself I need to cut down on reading and play more video games. 